start by being honest with ourselves. As a nation, for decades, we were perfectly happy to write off whole neighborhoods, whole cities, whole generations of young men and women. As long as it was an inner city problem, an urban problem, which is to say, a black people problem, a brown people problem. Send them to prison, into a system from which they'll never return. Maybe now, now that it's really come home to roost, now that it's the high school quarterback, your next door neighbor, your son, your daughter, now that grandma's as likely to be a junkie as anybody else, we'll accept that there has never been a real war on drugs. War on drugs implies an us versus them. And all over this part of America, people are learning there is no them. There is only us. And we're going to have to figure this out together. Yes, uh, hello, Baltimore. My name is Tyrone Bost, owner of BPPW Heating and Cooling, where you get all your heating and cooling needs met at reasonable rates. And welcome to our show called Tyrone. And with me is my, my posse, my <laughs> gangsters. Uh, <laughs> I have two millennials with me, uh, Leroy Myers, who is a graduate uh, student and teaching assistant at the University of Oklahoma. His area of study is the dynamics of the intersection of African-American and Native American history. Say hello, Leroy. Uh, hello, everybody. Happy Monday. And, and Zach, by the way, Leroy's in Oklahoma, everybody, um, where he teaches, and he attends uh, uh, University of Oklahoma. And Zachary Leacock, social media entrepreneur who majored in audio production, radio, TV, and film at Howard University. He's a socially conscious vegan and a producer of the Channel 10 podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with pioneering rap artists. Good afternoon, Baltimore. Okay, um, basically what we're doing this show is, uh, and if you've joined us, you already know, we're pulling the curtain back on things that are hidden in plain sight. And uh, today our show is going to be about um, the elections. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, the elections from the uh, national scene, and then we're going to work our way down to uh, the mayoral race. Uh, okay, uh, but before we get to that, uh, we're going to go with the... Uh, uh, the uh, the uh, Dolly Thomas tape or clip. We'll go, we'll, Dolly Thomas. To clip. Yeah. That I didn't think this way. That I rejected this kind of talk out of hand. A time when I viewed advocates and activists who were calling the drug war or mass incarceration the new Jim Crow, I thought they were exaggerating, engaging in hyperbole. In fact, there was a time when I thought that people who made those kinds of claims and those kinds of comparisons were actually doing more harm than good to efforts to reform our criminal justice system and achieve greater racial equality in the United States. But I finally woke up. And I woke up after years of working as a civil rights lawyer and advocate, representing victims of racial profiling and police brutality and investigating patterns of drug law enforcement in poor communities of color, and attempting to assist people who had been released from prison as they faced one closed door after another, one legal barrier to their supposed re-entry after another. Trying to assist people re-enter into a society that had never shown much use for them in the first place that I had a series of experiences that began what I call my awakening. I began to awaken to the reality that our criminal justice system now functions more like a system of racial and social control than a system of crime prevention and control. 
As I stayed in the introduction, what has changed since the collapse of Jim Crow has less to do with the basic structure of our society than the language we use to justify it. In the era of colorblindness, it is no longer socially permissible to use race explicitly as a justification for discrimination, exclusion, and social contempt. So we don't. Rather than rely on race, we use our criminal justice system to label people of color criminals and then engage in all the practices that we supposedly left behind. Today, it is perfectly legal to discriminate against criminals in nearly all the ways in which it was once legal to discriminate against African Americans. Once you're labeled a felon, the old forms of discrimination, employment discrimination, housing discrimination, denial of the right to vote, exclusion from jury service, suddenly legal. As a criminal, you have scarcely more rights and arguably less respect than a black man living in Alabama at the height of Jim Crow. We have not ended racial caste in America. We have merely redesigned it. Okay, that was uh, <coughs> Michelle Alexander. Um, she, she is a uh, civil rights lawyer, uh, professor. She taught law at uh, Stanford University. Uh, she also clerked for uh, Supreme Court Justice Blackman. Uh, she couldn't clerk for uh, Clarence Thomas because he probably wouldn't give her a job. <laughs> so, so I guess she had a clerk for uh, um, uh, Blackman, a brilliant lady. Uh, she's the author of the book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in a Colorblind, in the Age of Colorblindness. Okay, excellent book. I recommend, if you want to know what's going on out here with mass incarceration and all the devastation that's wreaked on our communities, um, I recommend that you read that book cover to cover. And you'll, you'll find out, you know, the inside of why the war on drugs was started, et cetera, as far as uh, it being a, a, a Republican uh, strategy uh, called the Southern Policy. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk today, we're going to talk about the uh, elections. We're going to start with the uh, national elections. And feel, feel free to call in. The number is 410-481-1010. 410-481-1010. So feel free to call in and, and I'll... That way you can get your, your views heard, and I'd be glad to hear from you. Um, as far as the, the Iowa uh, results, I guess we all know by now that Ted Cruz, as far as, I'm going to go with the Republicans first. I mean, uh, uh, we'll just get them out of the way. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Ted Cruz uh, led in Iowa at 20% uh, of the vote. Donald Trump was 24%, and Marco Rubio was 9%. Okay. Um so that, that takes care of the uh, Republican side of it. And with Hillary, and this is what I want people to understand, with Hillary Clinton and, and Bernie Sanders, it was basically a dead heat tie. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. Hillary was celebrating with, you know, champagne and, you know, drinks on the airplane and all that. But that wasn't much of a victory to uh, celebrate. I mean, if you look at, if you look at it, uh, uh, she had 49.84% of the vote. To Bernie Sanders, forty-nine point fifty-nine percent as 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 of an hour ago, when the results finally came in. So <laughs> I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be celebrating just yet, you know. So and raising the victory flag. Um, as far as um, Hillary Clinton, let's talk about why black people like Hillary Clinton. Uh, can we have that clip? Let's pull it up. 
Clintons have a very strong connection to African-American communities, despite the fact that uh, Bill Clinton undermined, you know, black prosperity during the 90s through crime bill, three strikes, prison litigation reform, Act, welfare reform. Many black people still considered him the original first black president. And because of that, they feel connected to the Clintons as a proxy. OK. OK. Yeah, that was uh, a Mark Lamont Hill on CNN. Uh, He's talking about our first what some people consider, I never considered it, but a lot of people consider to be our first black president, probably because he had a lot of bad habits, like Cheeto, his wife. And I, if you're, you're idiotic enough to think that qualifies you as a first black president, you know, so be it. But, you know, I, I, I take uh, issue. I take issue with a man, you know, Clinton's, uh, you know, personality being called the first black president. Obama is much, represent, represents us much uh, better, and we should be proud of him. Uh, we got caller. Right. Uh, we're going to go to Marcus on line one. Marcus, how are you doing today? Hey, how y'all doing? How you doing, doing Marcus? All right. All right. Next question. Yes, what's the question? Who really selects the president? Come on now. Well, <laughs> that's, Who really? a, that's a very profound question, Mar Marcus. First of all, you, you've got to get um, name recognition. And then that's where Hillary has benefited the most. A lot of people recognize her name because she's been, if you think about it, she's been in the public like for a long time. Her husband ran two terms as president. She's been secretary of state and, um, you know, and, and, and so forth. And she's been a senator. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. so people well, recognize Hillary Clinton, but. Who really selects the president? The Electoral College. Like, so did it, man. Come on. Technically, it's the Electoral okay. College. But, who really, whose ring do you have to kiss? You probably, oh, in all honesty. What international bank? Come on. Who is it? Okay, okay, Marcus, make your point. Make your point. I'm, I'm trying to. You try to ask me these um, a profound, you know, thought-provoking questions, but you won't allow, allow me to speak. I can tell no, you in no, theory. No, 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 listen. I, I can only tell you in theory, and I don't control this process, and neither do you, and neither do anybody listening. Uh, actually, our electoral process is controlled by money. If you want to be honest about it, you should follow the money. All right. It's controlled, and this is one of the things that Bernie Sanders has reeled against, and others have reeled against, is, is the fact that big money, for the most part, controls who gets to be president of the United States by, by contributing to, heavily to their campaigns. And so when, when it's time to pay back the ante, it's kind of hard to say no, because you've got to run again, and you want to keep your seat. Uh, so, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so Marcus. much for your call, Marcus. Uh, next up, we'll go to Alan Washington. How's it going, Alan? How's it going? I'm fine today. How are you doing today, sir? I feel fantastic. If I felt any better, I'd pass out from excitement. Go ahead. Really? I feel so <laughs> fantastic, I can hardly contain myself. <laughs> well, we both up there. Then. What you yes, drink? sir. <laughs> I'm drinking water. <laughs> well, I have uh, coconut water, but I won't mention the name brand unless I get money for the advertising. How about that? <laughs> I'm the same way. Go, go for it, Al. Well, this is my uh, first time listening to your show, sir. And our first well, time you. caller, of course. And I just want to let you know that I am truly impressed what I've heard so far. And I will make it a point uh, every Monday, I believe, at 2 o'clock. I will tune into your show, sir. Well, I appreciate I your enthusiasm. You keep up the good work, and I'll be listening to you more often. We're basically um, exposing things that are hidden in plain sight. And um, right now, what we're going to do is we're going to go. You, uh, do call in again, Alvin. But we're going to go to... Uh, the um, situation with Bernie Sanders clip, and we're going to explain some things about Bernie Sanders. By the way, Bernie Sanders is an ex-offender. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll, Alan. We'll explain why. Any 
realize until they were watching the Senate town hall with Anderson Cooper talking to Bernie Sanders about his arrest, you know, trying to uh, desegregate the University of Chicago um, housing and, and, and schools. They didn't know he was arrested and that he marched and, you know, this, this you know, uh, came from this lower middle class Jewish family, grew up in Brooklyn, went to College of Vermont. People are just learning about this. Well, Bernie went to college in the University of Chicago, then he moved to Vermont. Moved to Vermont. Uh, when you mentioned his, you mentioned his arrest uh, in, uh, to uh, desegregate in Chicago in 1962, I must point out that I was in probably in the fourth or fifth grade at that time. I met Bernie when I graduated from the University of Vermont <laughs> Don't age him. In, uh, in 1974. But now that tells you how long Bernie's commitment's been. I mean, he went to the march on Washington. I remember watching that on television when I was in, I believe, the fifth grade. So that's how long Bernie's commitment to civil rights has been and to social justice. One wonders if this were a white suburban community, what kind of response there would have been. Flint, Michigan is a poor community. It is disproportionately African-American and minority. And what has happened there is absolutely unacceptable. Okay, okay. Now, that is... That is uh, Bernie Sanders um, actually speaking out about some of the things. And he's been a, an advocate, by the way, for civil rights. He was a member of CORE and actually a member of SNCC. And he helped the organized protests on the 60s. He was actually arrested for civil rights. Now, in my opinion, if you've been arrested for civil rights, uh, you got street cred with me. <laughs> because there's very few black people that have been arrested for civil rights, let alone, you know, a, a white guy. So, as I've said before, white people of goodwill are always welcome to uh, help us, you know, in our time of need. We have serious issues going on in this country, and one of, one of them is, is mass incarceration, which is why we have the crime that we got. We're just making better criminals with little uh, attempt at rehabilitation. Zach? Right, and um, going back to Hillary Clinton, uh, uh, Joy Reid from uh, MSNBC, she recently came out with a book called uh, Fracture, Barack Obama, the Clintons, and the Racial Divide. And uh, in that book, um, I recently heard her uh, on her book tour speaking about it. And she talks about how black people ended up uh, switching from mainly the Republican Party to the Democratic Party, uh, leading all the way up until uh, Bill Clinton and how Bill Clinton was able to, I guess, woo the hearts of black people. Um, and, it, you know, some of it was his uh, charm and his way of speaking and being familiar with black people. And I'm sure his late the saxophone. Yeah, I was going to say his late <laughs> night uh, appearances playing the saxophone probably didn't hurt. Um but at the same time, he also passed legislation uh, that uh, put a lot of black people in jail and uh, also decimated the uh, welfare programs that a lot of black people were, um, you know, benefiting from and did uh, hurt the black community. Uh, however, because he has that name brand recognition of uh, being the first black president, like you said, Hillary Clinton does get a lot of clout from that. And also uh, her being the first woman president as well uh, doesn't hurt, you know, coming after Barack Obama. And also uh, she doubles down on a lot of Barack Obama's policies, whereas uh, Bernie Sanders kind of points out some things that maybe uh, uh, President Obama may have gotten wrong. Uh, for instance, when it comes to the bailouts, uh, how even though these huge banks and corporations, they all, you know, did horrendous things and uh, messed up the economy really badly. Um, they were given lots of money and no one was actually prosecuted. Uh, so I do think that Bernie Sanders does have a good point there, whereas uh, Hillary is doubling down. Let me interject on that, please. Mm -hmm. And as far as the, ba the, the banks crashing, um, the Great Recession or whatever, 
that was precipitated by Bill Clinton um, repeal re, his repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act. Right. Okay, which was an act that actually stopped the banks, investment banks, uh, from being a part of, uh, um, you know, the, the mixture of, of the banks with investment funds. And so people were able to bet on on different deals, and that that ended up crashing the banking system. And by the way, Glass-Steagall is is still out of effect. It should be it should be um, put back in place. It was actually Glass-Steagall Act was actually passed as, after the Great Depression, as a result of the Great Depression to ensure that that didn't happen again. But now we have the possibility of the Great Depression, you know, reoccurring because they've repealed that act uh, at the behest of the bankers who were yeah. pushing for him to repeal it. Go ahead, uh, Leroy. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, also another thing about Bernie Sanders, too, is the fact that he is kind of, you know, using the politics of fear. You know, he's really aligning himself with this, you know, this idea of this new progressive uh, movement. So he's really pulling... Um, you know, strings that have kind of been, you know, left on the ground from the Occupy movement, which, um, you know, didn't exactly pick up the way a lot of people um, thought it would, but it still gained a lot of traction and led to this, um, um, this, to this significant amount of attention on big money. And so you have people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren who are really trying to to go back to this idea of trying to get rid of the big banks and get get rid of big money in politics and really playing on this fear of this economic demise that that will happen that and that has happened in this country so far. Yeah, and uh, let me share with you something that uh, in regards to the autobus uh, crime bill that Bernie Sanders actually said on the floor of the uh, House in the '90s when he was a congressman, he was a representative at large. Um, Okay, this is a quote. My friends, we have the highest percentage of people in jail per capita of any nation on earth. What do we have to do? Put half the country behind bars? Mr. Speaker, instead of talking about punishment and vengeance, let us talk about the real issue. How do we get to the root causes of crime? How do we stop crime? I got a problem with a president, Bill Clinton. <laughs> I just I put that in. Uh, and Congress that allows 5 million people to go hungry, 2 million people to sleep out on the streets, cities to become breeding grounds for drugs and violence, and, and they say we're getting tough on crime. If you want to get tough on crime, let's deal with the causes of crime. Let's demand that every man, woman, and child in this country have a decent opportunity and a decent standard of living. Let's not keep putting more people in jail and disproportionately punishing blacks. Okay, he said that on, on, uh, on the floor of Congress. So uh, he, he has a very long and extensive civil rights uh, record. And he's, al- he's also protested against... Um, uh, slave labor in, in countries where brown people live as well, poor and black, poor black and brown people in these different countries. So he um, he and and uh, one of the things that people had gotten wrong was the uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement actually went on stage and they tried to shout him down, not knowing his civil rights record. That's what I, that's why I say if you wanna. If you want to lead, you have to read because these those young people didn't realize that Bernie Sanders actually went to jail for civil rights, and and they were shout, trying to shout him down, and they had no clue about his background. Now, one thing that I did think uh, that was interesting um, is that recently, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, who came to prominence with his uh, Atlantic article, uh, "The Case for Reparations," uh, he recently had a criticism of Bernie Sanders. Uh, when Bernie Sanders was asked uh, what he thought about reparations, he said that he's not for it because he um, doesn't think that it would pass Congress. However, he does have um, a lot of other radical ideas like free or, you know, um, you know, seemingly uh, radical ideas like free college for everyone um, that also may not pass Congress as well. 
Um, and Ta-Nehisi Coates was challenging Bernie Sanders, uh, saying that if you're radical on one issue, um, why not be as radical on the issue of reparations as well? Um, so I think uh, that, uh, in my mind, does uh, make a little bit of sense and cast a little bit of doubt as well. But when it comes to the landscape of uh, who we have running um, at the current time, um, he does seem like, you know, who may be the best option. Yeah, and uh, Bernie Sanders... <laughs> Remembered back in the sixties, uh, he was um, putting up. Uh, he was putting up. Bernie Sanders was putting up uh, flyers, you know, at, uh, against police brutality in the sixties. This was around nineteen sixty-three or so, and he looked behind him while he was putting these flyers up, and he noticed that uh, the police were following him. <laughs> and and uh, he, he know we have a caller. Uh, we do have a caller. Let me let me finish my thought. Now okay. I'll get right one. Okay, he knows that the police were following him, and um, they had a whole stack of flyers. They were actually taking the flyers down, and um, as he put them up, and they said, "Do these belong to you?" <laughs> when they caught up with him, and they saw him as an outside agitator. That's what they did. that's what they labeled him the police the police department when he was protesting against police brutality. Mm. Uh, go ahead, Zach. Okay, so now uh, we have Don on line one. Uh, Don, how's it going today? How you guys? How you guys doing this evening? All right, Don, how are you? All right. All right. You, you guys are making some excellent points, but a, some of our people, I'm going to say some, they just have this this love affair with the Clintons. You know, I, I mean, I can't explain it myself. I can't explain it. It was really best, based on uh, nothing, actually, because they, the other I, thing that they did, if you think about it, Don, is uh, the, it was a one-two punch. First, you had the omnibus crime bill, which, which started us on the road to mass incarceration of black people. No, <laughs> And then you had the um, NAFTA. Which um you know which which sent jobs overseas by the thousands and, right. so, and millions actually and uh, go ahead. I'm 58 years old and I'm talking to talking to people my age and they they keep they keep saying well we we don't know know uh, nothing about Bernie. I'm like what well, do you research do Absolutely. your homework and and then what I what I'm saying is uh, we're just exposing stuff that's hidden in plain sight. You right. know of course they're not going to tell you. Uh, Matter of fact, seventy-four percent with his civil rights record, you know, actually going to jail for black people. Seventy-four percent of of uh, black people are actually voting for Hillary Clinton. Okay, and that's that's absurd. And then you have you have um, even white women. More than seventy percent of white women are actually vote for Bernie Sanders because what they're saying is, hey, we're going to have a woman president in our lifetime. That doesn't impress us. You being the first woman president, it don't have to be you. Absolutely. So, you vote, you vote on the the policy issues. Right. And those women realize that Hillary Clinton is going to take them for granted because she's a woman and they are women. And, and we don't realize that. We don't understand that the Democrats, a lot of, in a lot of cases, have actually taken us for granted. Absolutely. You know? And one more thing, this uh, question about reparations. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what, what's it going to look like? I mean, I'm not concerned with no reparations. I don't want, want them to give me nothing. Just give me an opportunity and give me fairness. Well, absolutely. absolutely. Well, you know, I'm not going to knock reparations. I'll take your money if you don't want it. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but I, I agree with what you like? say. I agree with your premise. I agree with your premise. Right. The problem, the main problem with African Americans, as far as our neighborhoods, is that right. if you go to neighborhoods like Santan, Winchester, right, there's a lot of poverty with no opportunity. Now, when you have poverty without with with a lack of opportunity, what you're going to have is crime because people, when they're desperate, they look to things like drugs in their vicinity that they can market and get money. And uh, people, people that have money and, and making good money and all this stuff, they don't, they don't get that.
They I agree. Yeah. Now, if you if you put uh, millions of dollars into the community without e- education and knowledge of what to do with the money, it's not going to do any good. <laughs> Absolutely, as they just going to blow the money or destroy themselves with the yeah. money. But I'm not knocking reparations. <laughs> years yeah, of slavery. Years of slavery. Now, if you think about it, a lot of black people are descendants of white people through slavery. I mean, if you if look at, if you don't understand what I'm saying, look at Roots or something. I don't know. If you never read a book, if you scared to right. a book, or look at Roots or look at uh, 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 shows of that nature or Manding or, or, or something like that, some movie like that, or yes. you, you'll find out that a lot of black people have white people in their, in their bloodlines. And uh, usually when you are descendant of somebody, Right. You inherit their land and their property. Those people that were descendants of slaves, including Thomas Jefferson, who had a black child, by the way, from the slave Sally Hennings. Absolutely. See, they didn't inherit any of that property. Okay, so that's one of the other things we didn't get from being enslaved. We never got our four acres of the mule, and the people that are descendants of, of white people, don't, some half of them don't even know it walking around here, they never got a dime from their parents. And they were right. made, and if you had a slave, if you were, if you were a slave master and you had a, a son by a slave, or a daughter by a slave, they were slaves. They were, they were, they were slaves. You enslaved them too. So they were basically slaving their children as well. So yeah, it was I a family agree. affair. Everything you're saying, everything you're saying, right on point. Yeah, sorry if I hurt you by his feelings, but that's the way it is, whether you like it or not. All right, appreciate it. Okay, thank you so much for your call, Don. Once again, anyone who wants to call and join in the conversation, you can reach us at 410-481-1010. Next up on the line, we have Lady Maggie. Lady Maggie, how are you doing this afternoon? Thank you. Peace and blessings to you all. How you doing, Maggie? I I am wonderful, just like we all are. Welcome to the Call Tyrone Show. Pardon me? Welcome to the Call Tyrone Show. What what are your thoughts? I've called you before. I called yeah. you before. I know. You called us last week. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad I was here because usually I'm not at the radio at this time, but you must draw me because I, I got you last week and now I have you this week. Something uh, magnetic about that to me. Anyway, uh, you mentioned um, the uh, person being in bondage might be the... Uh, Offspring, son, daughter. No, 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 Maggie. That's not. That's not a might. That's an established fact. As a matter of fact, no, no, no. Let, You're right. let me let me finish my point. And I'll let you finish. Um, there's right. a there's a sister in D.C. who claimed to be a descendant of uh, Thomas Jefferson, and the people that controlled Thomas Jefferson's legacy said, oh, "Oh, that's impossible. Our father, family father, would never have sex with a slave." Yada yada yada. And she said, "No, no, no. This was handed down in my family history, and I believed that my people were telling me the truth." So what she, what they did was say, okay. She said, well, let's get a hair of uh, Thomas Jefferson's and let's do a DNA sample. And they actually, they didn't believe her, of course, so they gave her they gave her access to a hair of Thomas Jefferson. They did the DNA analysis, and she it was she came out positive as a descendant of Thomas Jefferson. So that's how America's in so much denial about this stuff happening. But one of the biggest jokes on the plantation was how much, between the wives, was how much the other plantation owner's wife uh, slaves look like the, the slave master on that plantation. Not looking at their own children on their plantation of the slaves, which look like the master too. So, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I know digress. what you're saying. It's factual. As a matter of fact, it's so factual, it's put in the Bible. Because uh, one of the plantation owners said, well, what am I supposed to give all of my property, my um, legacy and everything to my slave? And the answer is yes, if you don't have any 
um, children of your own other than your slave. Okay. So it, it was supposed to be an inheritance um, that would actually be full if there were no children he could claim, as they say. Okay, you okay, know. Baggy, you want to you um, close? Yeah, okay, I want to close with this. I appreciate you. We have other calls, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Go ahead Matt. Yeah, reviewing uh, Bernie, because uh, I'm impressed with him, and I'm still impressed with uh, Ben Carson, and I am impressed with Jesse Jackson, and I am impressed with uh, Cynthia McKinney. So maybe we need to make a demand for who he will consider as his running mate, as they call it. Okay, thank you for your call, Matt. Thank you so much. Thanks to you. Call again. Next up on the line, we have Baba. How's it going this afternoon? And, uh, How's it going, how's Baba? Everybody coming along. Uh, All right. L- 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 let me say this: with uh, a slave, we were we were put into slavery for over three hundred years, and I know you know who did it: white people. And that same mentality that they had then, over two you can see they have that same mentality now with generations of generations. That's why it's all these laws, equal opportunity, and this, that, the all them laws they got on the book for black, they not for their own race. Them laws on the book and whatnot are not for the European races. they only for the uh, African race. Absolutely. That's all. That's all. everything they have on the book, every type of stuff they go up with atrocities and whatnot to put us down, they never stop going to do the police department is white people. That's who they are. Okay, thank that, you. That, that's, that's exactly who they are. They have innate hatred for the children of the sun. Okay, thank you so much for your comment, Baba. Thank you so much. Did you call again, sir? Appreciate it. Okay, uh, we're going to go to Ak next. How's it going, Ak? Hey, uh, Ak. How you brothers doing? I feel fantastic. All right. Yeah, so much truth going on. I heard y'all talking about Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United yeah, States. Yeah, yeah, I'm also familiar the author with that of the Declaration founding, of you know what. Yeah, but anyway, uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson once wrote that a Negro is three-fifths of a human being. One step let up me, from let me, let me interject. Let me interject. No, yeah, let me interject. Heard, have I'm, you, I'm have you heard that? Yeah, let me interject, and then I'll let you go on. I'm going to try to explain that the best way I can. The three, three, And this is a part of this is a section of the Constitution, three-fifths clause of the Constitution. You have two houses of Congress. You have the uh, the Senate and you have the House of Representatives. Okay, now the Senate is is you get two senators per state, regardless of the size of the state. The House of Representatives is actually based on the number of population for each state. So what the three fifths did the slave states? Um, it was like a compromise. The slave states would wanted to count slaves. They actually did want to count slaves as whole people for that purpose because that would give them more power in the House of Representatives. So what they did was they came to, they said, no, nah, we're not counting all them slaves because y'all going to have more power than the North if we do that. Because y'all got more, with the slavery population versus the white population, that's too much. So what they yeah. did was they came, what they did was they came to a compromise. Uh, they said, okay, well, we'll count three-fifths of the people in your territories that are non-white as, uh, as uh, instead of the full number of that population. And then we will add it to the white population, and that yeah, and that just went to apportionment of the House of Representatives, and that, that actually that was actually uh, repealed by the Fourteenth Amendment to the Constitution, so it's no longer in effect. Dred Scott was also appealed by that too. 14, if you read the Fourteenth Amendment to the Constitution, but go ahead. Okay, three fifths of a human being. What kind of zoology is that? I'm not. Look, I'm not. Uh, look, I'm not trying to say 
in any way, shape, or fashion that we are inferior to anybody. I'm not inferior to anybody. I know you're not. And I would never right. say that. So I'm right. not even going to try to suggest that okay, black let people. Me these say, are let, let me say this, George, if, if, if Thomas Jefferson believed in his philosophy, that meant he was practicing bestiality, right? Absolutely. He's Absolutely. having sex with an ape, right? Absolutely. That's, but, but in that case, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Sally Hemings was actually his half-sister. I mean, right, not, and, and, because, listen, let me, let me put it to you right, because the father, and this is why, why I so screwed up, you're talking about incest now, the father of, uh, of uh, Thomas Jefferson's wife was actually uh, the father of Sally Hemings. So uh, Thomas Jefferson was actually having sex with, with his, his, uh, his sister-in-law, if you want to take yeah, it that know, way. But go ahead. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, she I know was 12 years old when he started having sex with her, by the way. Right. That yeah. 13 and the 14, 15 amendment ain't no but Larry numbers for some niggas. Have a good one. Okay. Okay. We're about halfway uh, through the show now. We're going to go ahead and um, and go to a quick uh, station break. Uh, if you can bl- uh, bring up the BPPW clip. Yeah, let's go with the uh, let's the, go with the, the BPPW uh, advertisement. Okay. Um, so uh, after uh, we uh, go to this clip, we're going to go ahead and get into uh, the local elections now. Um, if you want to get on the line, once again, it's 410-481-1010 uh, to get in contact with us on the uh, Call Tyrone show and go ahead and uh, voice your opinions on the elections that are going on in Baltimore uh, for the uh, mayoral candidate. And if you are a candidate, feel free to call in because we want to hear from you, too. Did your air conditioning go bust this summer? What do you need to do first for the coming winter? I think you better call Tyrone. Those other companies try to reduce my family's bank account to zero. But when we called Tyrone, he became our hero. Hello, this is Tyrone, owner of BPPW, telling you don't be overcharged for your air conditioning and heating installations. BPPW can install a new furnace, heat pump, or air conditioning system at very reasonable rates. Don't wait until icicles are hanging off your nose this winter. Call BPPW now at 410-978-6889. We currently offer a 10-year warranty on parts and labor and a lifetime warranty on compressors for air conditioning and heat pump installations. You may qualify for a 30% tax rebate on some installations. So, before you go with the other guys, call Tyrone now at 410-978-6889. Okay, okay. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Call Tyrone Show. And before we talk about the uh, mayoral elections, which, by the way, has been shifted, so that it's not following the governor elections, but there's a reason for that. It's just it's gamesman, political gamesmanship, because voter turnout would be less if it's not if it doesn't follow the, pol- the uh, presidential and gubernatorial election. I'm sorry, uh, got a call. Okay. Yes, uh, uh, Dave, you're on the line. How's it going this afternoon? Oh, great, great. Great show, guys. Great show. Hey, you, how's it going there, Dave? All right. Hey, um, the local elections, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've lived in Baltimore all my life, and the time that I've been there, there's always been Democrats running the city. Do you think we're ever going to have an alternative to the Democratic power stru- uh, structure? Well, in Maryland and the state of and 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 the city of Baltimore, 
because what I see is us just reelecting the same people over and over again that actually are responsible for the, for the Freddie Browns <laughs> and everything else that happens. <laughs> so why don't we uh, try and look at something else? At least we have a bargaining chip. Right now, everybody just gets reelected on general purpose. Absolutely. I, no I, I you know, I agree with your premise as far as um, us just giving them a blank check. And uh, they actually, the Democrats actually, actually take our, our vote for granted. And uh, they oh, yeah. really, they really aren't doing a whole lot for us in Baltimore City. They, they're actually selling us out. I mean, they're giving contracts to, to people that have nothing to do with Baltimore except wanting to pimp Baltimore. And the citizens of Baltimore, take when Sandtown Winchester, for instance, and this is a crisis. They have a 51, according to the uh, Justice Policy Institute, they have a 51.8% uh, unemployment rate. And that's higher than the Great Depression. The Great Depression, the unemployment rate was like 25 to 30%. Okay? And during the Great Depression, if you notice, you had you had white people, when they talk about the crime in Baltimore, you had, you had some serious gangsters during the Great Depression. You had uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, Pretty Boy Floyd. You had Machine Gun Kelly, John Dillinger. These were, Bonnie and Clyde killed nine law enforcement officers. <laughs> How many of these criminals have killed nine law enforcement officers? And they had 40,000 people, by the way, attend uh, Bonnie's uh, funeral when she died. Thousands well, of people attended uh, John Dillinger's uh, funeral because these people, what they felt, the people in those areas during the Depression, they felt like they had been sold out. They, uh, a lot of people had their farms foreclosed on. Like 30% of all farms in the United States were foreclosed on after the Great Depression. And, um, you know, so these people felt like they were folk heroes to them. And they, they were almost like celebrities. And, and you can almost see the same type of thing with foreclosures in Baltimore. And, um, and I'm not justifying crime by any means. And, and I would say, again, if you're in crime, you need to get out of it because it's, it's, it's bad for the community. And eventually, you're going to get caught. And I, it was um, as Brother Bay told me something. He said, he said that recidivism, you know, is, is three years. It used to take three years for you to recidivate. But he said it doesn't take three years. And this was very wise. He said it doesn't take three years to commit a crime. It just takes three years for them to get caught. So meanwhile, these people that can't get a job with these criminal records, they're committing more crimes until they finally get caught three years later. Go ahead, Dave. Oh uh, yeah, well. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, Baltimore has a problem with unemployment. And, yes, they and, do. And you know why? Because you, they're taking these, 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 uh, these politicians are taking your money and giving it away to wealthy investors, and they're giving them tax incentives and tax breaks and not ask for anything in return. They routinely, well, listen to me. The Democrats listen to me. doing this? Yeah, of course, of course. I'm not even, I'm going to take the party, I'm but, the party out of what I can, what I can see Dave. from the time that I've lived in Baltimore. Dave, let me take both, the Democrats both, out of both urban back areas. Dave, you know, Dave, yeah, I'm sorry. let's take the, the Democrats out just for a minute because that's a distraction. I'm talking about okay. what I'm saying is that politic, you know, these developers routinely get waivers for minority participation in jobs and contracting in the city of Baltimore. The money from Baltimore City does not belong to the politicians. It doesn't belong to the mayor or the city council. It is the money of the people of the citizens of Baltimore, and it should be reinvested into the communities of Baltimore, not sent everywhere else. People coming in to work and leaving town with the money. And um, and to to speak to the point of the uh, power structure uh, that is in the city, um, I think that Baltimore is kind of a microcosm for what's going on uh, on the grander national scale. So when you take a look at uh, like the Donald Trumps on the national scene, that's because people are looking for an outsider because they're tired of the structure of, you know, the party that's and everything cool. that's going on now. So I do think that 
even though uh, the race is uh, primarily a Democratic race in Baltimore City, you do have outsiders who are coming into the race who um, previously either have no political experience, but they may have business experience, such as the uh, Warnocks. And then you have uh, the X factors of the of the uh, race now who are coming in, like the DeRay McKessons, um, who, you know, have no con- have absolutely no connection to the uh, political structure that currently exists. Absolutely. And, and uh, you have 29 people running for mayor, by the way, in the city of Baltimore. So that's like a circus, <laughs> actually. You know, if you count, the, you know, the independents, you have Green Party candidates. And, you know, everybody's like a free-for-all. So you, just, you think there'll ever be a Republican mayor in the city of Baltimore? I, I mean, we've had two Republican governors. Yes, we the have. the state didn't fall apart. We have more than that, actually. But I mean, recent memory, yeah, it was early. Yeah, well, well, my point is this, you know, if you keep having one party, and I hate to keep going back to this, being in power and entrenched for 40 years, this is what you get. Well, you well Dave, get I will say performance this. performance from your elected, uh, elected Dave, officials because they have, nobody's holding them accountable. Dave, I mean, uh, Dave in, in reference to what you were saying about the governor, I will tell you mm-hmm. this, historically, we only have two terms of a Democrat, then we get a, a Republican governor. That's historic. And, and it's, that's a rule that's been followed for quite so many, so many years. And as far as the presidential nomination, we never had more than two years of, of uh, two terms of Democrats in office at any time before we got Republican. So well, historically, we're, Baltimore, historically, Baltimore let me finish. It's been, it's let me finish. Democrat, though, let right? me finish. Historically, we're due a Republican president, and a lot of people don't realize that. So well, that's yeah, not, that's I, the I agree with Donald that, Trump, but so, yeah. I'm focusing on Baltimore City yeah, because yeah. to me, we get that's you the prime example the same time. Of, of, you know, one party being in power for 40 years and look what's happened to the city, and it, and it wasn't just white uh, Democrat mayors, it's been black, because Absolutely. the policies that they're implementing, they're I'll be honest, to me, is it's, what's caused the problem. It's called sellout. <laughs> <laughs> sellout policies. Okay, well, thank you so much for your comments, you, Dave. Dave. All right, thank you guys, appreciate it. Call Have a good one. <laughs> uh, once again, uh, you can reach us at 410-481-1010. Um, so that was an uh, interesting comment about the power structure of uh, Baltimore politics. Um, and uh, like I stated before, there are um, a few outsiders who are coming into the race, such as uh, David Warnock, who doesn't have any uh, previous political uh, experience when it comes to um, to the politics in the city. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? As far as uh, David Warnock, he is saying some good things. Actually, he's white, you know, but <laughs> he, but with the black mayor we had, you know, previously, uh, you know, I... I <laughs> You know, I don't. I, but the last time we had a white mayor was catastrophic, and not saying that Warren acts the same way, but it, it resulted in zero tolerance and, and a lot of the. And it actually led to, I would say, the riots and a lot of the uh, pathologies we have now, with people with criminal records that they're unemployable. People, the, the, the employers don't want to talk to them, mm-hmm. and and I'm not telling anybody to give up hope. You know, stay hang in there. But we, but Warnock is saying some good things about um, as far as uh, em, employment. He's saying that we got to put people to work. And that these developers can't have the inner, inner harbor flourish without looking at, you know, these neighborhoods, without investing in these neighborhoods. So he's saying that, and, and a number of these guys are saying, uh, uh, Stokes is saying some good things about um, about uh, jobs. He's saying, he's saying he won't grant a single waiver. Uh, yeah. for, I'm sorry, Leroy, were you about to add something? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, if, if I may, when it comes to, you know, the whole power structure of um, the city government, is that um you know when you when you look at it and you know how entrenched 
the Democratic Party is within um, the government system, it's kind of ironic to me that sometimes when you know when we do have these um, these elections, that in certain respects, at least to me, when it comes to um, a lot of the candidates' rhetoric, they they tend to come, they, they tend to sound like Republicans, um, or you'll get like one or two that kind of use this weird Republican rhetoric that you normally see on a national level. So, for example, um, Catherine Pugh, um, I was. Uh, I um I listened to her interview on Maryland Morning, and she is really adamant about running the city like like a business, which is you know something that we we tend to normally hear on the Republican national level, not something that you usually see with Democrats per se. But I'm um, going to to David Warnock. Um, I think he is saying really good things, and especially um, I like the fact that he's really focusing on transportation more so than than the other candidates um, when it comes to partially reviving the red line. And to me personally, I think that transportation is probably in the top three of things that really have to be, uh, you know, dealt with um, when it comes to this election. Because uh, me and Zach have talked about this uh, numerous times about this, uh, the subway system. There's no. It just doesn't make any sense that the subway system goes in one straight line. Yeah, the, and, the, but, <laughs> the subway system and, in Baltimore is like an embarrassment compared to D.C. and places like New York. You know, really, uh, uh, transportation hubs like that. I mean, there's really no comparison. Right, and it does affect the uh, job situation because. Um, like in uh, areas like Sancha, uh, Sandtown, Winchester, a large population of the uh, employed people have to travel over 45 minutes to get to their place of employment. Um, so, you know, some of that is because of lack of resources in the actual area, and some of it is be just because of the lack of transportation. Um, and right. those types of things uh, can be very detrimental to employment. Um, so it's definitely a major concern. Yeah, and, and uh, joblessness, again. Joblessness breeds violence, okay? And, um, uh, again, studies have shown, you know, that uh, that um, as far as uh, being jobless, if, if jobless men, as far as if you're a black jobless man, you're no more violent, I mean, than a, than a white jobless man and vice versa. If you have a job, if you are an employed white man, you, uh, or you're, let me put it the other way, if you're an employed black man, you're no more violent than an employed white man. So the fact that somebody's unemployed, that gives a lot of time for them to do other things. If you're at, if you're at work, let's say Freddie Gray was at work, which he was looking for a job, according to his son. Matter of fact, he went to the job center a couple times and couldn't get a job, and he told his girlfriend he couldn't get a job because he had a criminal record. Okay, so we probably could have averted a riot if Freddie Gray was at work instead of uh, on the corner, you know, to be chased by the police. I mean, so this is what you get when you don't connect the dots, when you ignore uh, the um, the um, that's you know the, the uh, problems of a whole segment of the population, and um, tearing the buildings down, which we discussed last week, tearing those buildings down, that's like hiding the evidence. <laughs> that's like hiding the evidence of the neglect. When you tear down these buildings, that's they they destroyed all the evidence, and then they, if they gentrify that area, it's like there's no problem. Those people are just going to have to move with their pathologies to another area, and that's what happens. And not they're not solving the problem by putting these people to work or giving them a job. And, and again. When I hear people say black people don't work, that's nonsense. Because, well, I, as I've said before, when I go into McDonald's and any <laughs> Burger King, there's plenty of, of uh, young black people in there working. And I rarely see, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, and I want somebody to bring me a picture. I rarely see a white man working in, in McDonald's. I see black men working there, 
but I really see a white man working in there. White women, but not white men. I want a picture of a white man working at McDonald's, please. Okay. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, going back to the uh, investment uh, in the communities and where the Something money. McDonald. Go ahead. <laughs> and uh, where the money is diverted, uh, like last week we stated that, uh, you know, Baltimore received $1.8 million of uh, stimulus funds, and the majority of that went to uh, the 21201 zip code, which is downtown. Um, and a lot of the candidates now, they're speaking about uh, making sure that developers do more than just invest in the harbor area. Uh, so that's a big part of the rhetoric that's going on now. And what I would like to see is, uh, you know, someone with a plan of uh, how that's actually going to happen. Um, you know, the next time some money comes into the city or some, uh, there's going to be some major development uh, just to make sure that the uh, investment is spread around into some of the communities that do need it the most. Um, but we have a call on the line. Uh, we're going to go to Cooper on line one. Uh, good afternoon, I'm Cooper. I'm trying to turn this radio down. Okay. <laughs> yeah, turn it down, Cooper, so we can hear you. Yeah. We want to hear your comments. We want to hear your thoughts. Uh, shoot. Oh, what I wanted to bring out, you might be able to hear me. I hear you now. I hear you loud and clear, okay. actually. I mean, have the uh, black population ever uh, considered Willie Lynch is still alive? Well, Willie Lynch was a fabricated story, but the uh, the premise behind fabricated it. Fabricated story? Okay. Yeah, it's not true. It's not true. Use fabricated story. The guy that wrote it actually came conquer. out. Let me finish. The guy that wrote it actually came out and said he, he made that story up. Okay, let's but, say he made the story up. Yeah, but it still has some truth to it. Don't, don't yeah. get me wrong. Well, just let, let, forget Willie Lynch. Yeah. Have the black people of America have become a people with a creed as a whole? All minorities of the world are suppressed by the supremacists. So we'll talk about individual things, and we argue against each other. We have a division between ourselves of rich and poor, and poor and rich, and the uneducated to the educated. When is it going to be that we recognize the fact that as long as that exists, those people are in power, they made the power, and they're going to keep the power, and they invaded this country with foreigners. you got Vietnamese. Koreans, Mexicans, why do you think they are here? Well, you yeah. understand what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, you can't answer that right now. No, no, I'm I trying can't to bring it out like there so people can get that ideology that that exists. And when we realize that exists, we don't have a Republican mayor, we don't have a Democratic this. That, what is the creed of each party? The average electorate don't even know it. Well, thank you. So he hear the word, but he doesn't know their creed. All right, Cooper, we're going to get you. some more people on. Thank you for your, your thank thoughts. Thank you so much for your yeah. thoughts. Call again. Um, as far as what, what Cooper was saying, um, uh, there, look, that's one of the things that, that, that Bernie Sanders was, was talking about. He's, he's saying that there's, there's, there's a, an increasing gap between the one percenters, the have-gots and the have-nots. Okay, and and we need to correct that. And and again, I get what you're saying. As far as long as there's poverty, you know, in these communities, large scale poverty, we're going to have uh, the crime and all the pathologies that come along with the, the the poverty. Black people that are poor are no different and react no differently than people that are poor all over the world. Anywhere, if you take again, <laughs> El Chapo just got arrested. You know, he's responsible for thousands of deaths. All right, and um, but. There's drug prohibition in his country, and um, he's an opportunist who has taken advantage of the fact that you can make money uh, marketing that commodity. 
and on, on in the black market. And with black markets come crime. Okay. Right. And I think um in violence. Go ahead, Zach. You know, a lot of uh, um, a lot of the issues are caused um they're caused, you know, by design. Um and also they're caused by policies that were designed for specific purposes. So when you look at the policy of redlining, um, as outlined, uh, especially in Baltimore, um, in the book, uh, Not in My Neighborhood, uh, you by see how... Patera, right? Right. Yeah. So you see how, uh, you know, concentrations and pockets of poverty uh, have been created. And when you have a, uh, like a concentration of poverty, that's when you have the the... Uh, that's when you have the pathologies that occur when you have, uh, you know, concentrations of poverty. Um, and when you have the black people who were forced into these concentrations by specific policies and procedures that were enacted by laws, uh, that explains the problem. And so what we're trying to do is come up with the uh, solutions through various. In my, uh, in my travels, policies. I actually met a guy that he said on his covenant, it said, do, do not not to sell to black people on his covenant. The Negroes, not to sell the Negroes on his covenant when he bought his house in the 60s. I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, well, we do have uh, a caller on the line. Uh, Charles, you're on line one. Uh, thank you for calling. How's it going this afternoon? Oh, it's doing good. All right, how's it going, Charles? Oh, it's doing good. Now, um, crime has gone down. You know, it's gone down for the last several years. Yeah, it's gone down and for the past 20 years, but uh, the no, concentration no, 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 went no, up. You're not understanding yeah, what go I'm ahead. saying. Go ahead, Charles, but I'm, I'm just saying that as a fact. Crime right, has actually you're gone saying down. something different. You're saying something different. Right. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Well, go ahead, Charles. I'm going to let you speak. Crime has gone down in the last several years because people have been recycling. You know, people have been um, been um, adding to their income, and now all that has gone in the toilet. Gold is, is in the toilet. Copper is in the toilet. Palladium's in the toilet. All precious metals are in the toilet. Yeah, I know copper's so, went down substantially because I, right, I, I, right. I deal with copper. And, and that is to make crime rise. Because the police have not been getting all their overtime. They've been not getting all the time that they wanted. They've been getting furlough days and working four days a week. Now they've been working seven days a week. They've been getting overtime, triple time, um, out-of-state time. They've been getting money from four or five years ago. Only the police, the media, and um, a couple other entities are making money at this time while the people are still starving. Crime is a business. Yeah, absolutely. They needed, they needed crime to go back up. Yeah, well, well I, I will say this. I will say this, and, and this is a part of the omnibus crime bill. When they did the omnibus crime bill, uh, Charles, what they were basically telling um, the, the states was that go out and punish people more and, and, and lock up more people and we'll give you money. When you right, sort of and, fur- and don't give people finish. a right to work. Right. You don't when need you, a right to work. You know, you, you need to be fired at will. I'm, and then you can go out and commit more crimes so we can make money off of it. Well, and, and then, the police, but, the judges, the lawyers, the probation officers, the one that make the handcuffs, the guns, the police cars, everybody's making money off the criminals on the corner. Right. But, well, thank you for your thoughts, Thank Charles. you so much for your thoughts, Charles. Let me, let me just say this. Um... The, the, as I was saying before, the, the, Charles makes a lot of good points. He makes a lot of very good points. But but getting back one point, the Omnibus Crime Bill was signed by Bill Clinton with glee, and actually it was um, it was uh, Joe Biden was one of the leading senators that submitted it, and they they seen you know what the damage has caused, and him and Barack Obama are trying to correct a lot of that stuff by releasing some some people you know for different offenses. Um, but it, but at any rate, 
What they what it did was incentivize the locking up of people. That's why we have mass incarceration. What it was telling what it was telling the states is the more people you lock up, the more money the federal government is going to give you. So when you saw the um, the demonstrations in Ferguson and places like that, you saw those tanks come out. Guess what? The reason they got those tanks is because they were locking people up. And when you have to lock up so many people and start making quotas for lock arresting people and getting tough those get tough on crime policies, you are you are in a um, start concentrating and targeting people that you don't necessarily like or don't care about. So that's what ended up happening in, uh, to poor blacks and Latinos and the war on drugs and uh, the omnibus crime bill, massacre, which led to mass incarceration. Zach? Right. And then um, in addition to, um, like I was speaking about before, when you uh, do have the policies of redlining with the concentrations of poverty, um, that just gives you a target to go straight for to just go and lock people up because um, you have a situation that's perpetuating uh, more crime uh, out in the open and um, it leads to mass incarceration as well. Right. And uh, we thank you for joining us with this segment of To Call Tyrone. And uh, feel free to join us next week for another exciting dialogue. Thank you so much. And have a happy Monday. 